Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible handy, there should be one at the end of the pews. And we are continuing our way through, as I mentioned just a minute ago, uh, about an eight-week sermon series entitled Seven-Year Vision Stream. We are seven years into the life of our church body. And stream as in flow, as in creek, as in the name of our church, and where we're headed. So seven-year vision stream. And we've looked at a couple of items already, talked about the fact that God's grace has got to be the centerpiece of who we are in relationship with Him individually. His free, unmerited love for all of us who don't deserve it is a beautiful thing, but also a daily thing, a centerpiece for who we should be individually and also collectively as a church. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We mentioned last week and and walked through a bit what it looks like to live our lives by faith, faith in action, we said, that, of course, faith is believing certain things about God and about Jesus and about ourselves in order to come to salvation, but faith is also the expression of our belief and trust in God, and that we should ask ourselves, it's reasonable to ask ourselves on a regular basis, when is the last time that I took some step, made some decision, uh, exhibited some belief, whatever it is, I did something actively, knowing that uh, without God, if God's not in the midst of that, it, it's, it's not going to happen. That God's got to sustain me. When's the last time I took a step of faith? So we talked about being a church body that are thinking that way individually and then collectively looking for God to move, relying upon God, we might say. And today what we want to look at is another component of of our core values, who we believe we should be as a church body, which on the surface maybe seems pretty plain and straightforward, but it's it's a crucial one. And that is truth in teaching. Truth in teaching. And we want to use this passage that may be somewhat familiar uh, to us. Even if we haven't read it in the scriptures, we're probably familiar with the analogy of rock and sand that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. So read along with me uh, silently as I read aloud just these few verses. And then let's, let's look at what it means to be individuals, families, community, a church body that are based and centered around the solid foundation Of the truth of God's revealed word. Verse 24, Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask now in our time in your word that you would teach us about what it means to be people of your word. And that you would root us more deeply in it. You would enable us to develop a fuller conviction, to ground ourselves 
individually as a church body in the solid foundation of the truth of the scriptures. So help us that way. Open our eyes in fresh ways to this truth. If we've thought about it before, give us uh, understanding for the first time. If we've never really considered what it looks like to build our lives around God's word, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Fake news. Fake news is a topic these days, isn't it? Just a tad. Just a tad. And whatever our political persuasion is, I hope we can all agree that any group out there can be subject to propagating what is false. In fact, we call it propaganda. Or at least a slanted version of their understanding of their particular cause or agenda, and that usually there's another side that has their particular take, or we call it spin, on perhaps the same exact set of facts or events. Of course, in some ways, our social media and web have helped to enlighten all of us and hold some of the the major news organizations, whether it's Fox News or whether it's MSNBC, pick your side, accountable, and they may cry foul for false journalism, but we know that the results, unfortunately, are that they are often merely throwing rocks from their rather tall glass broadcasting towers. It raises the question for us, doesn't it? Where can we get reliable truth? Where can we get sound understanding? Of course, it isn't just the media and the media that we find truth hard to come by, is it? With our friends, with our spouse, with our co-workers, even with our family, we know we're all supposed to tell the truth. But we've all been lied to. And if we're honest, we've all lied, haven't we? So finding someone who will speak the truth to us, speak it about vital matters, speak it about matters that maybe we can't get understanding about from any other place, is really, really, really valuable, isn't it? We've been reminded. We're reminded. Every time we hear the phrase fake news, every time we think about how we've been let down by those around us with truth, It reminds us. It reminds uh, me, I know, of the beauty of God's revealed word. And as we talk about truth and teaching today, it begins with this idea of what what does Scripture describe itself as being and what do we believe it to be. And that's vital if we're going to build all that we believe and do as a church body on some truth, on some reality, we need to understand what that reality is. That's the foundation. A couple of passages there, and if you want to follow along in your sermon notes section in the back of your worship guide, you can. I've got a few scriptures that maybe would help us as we even get started here. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 is one that's maybe uh, has been shared before. It says this, all scripture is God-breathed. I love that description, you know, in the same way that as I'm talking, 
And in order for me to talk right now, you know, none of us thinks about it while we're talking. But there's air that flows out. And I don't know the science and dynamics of it. But somehow that produces vocal things that come out. And and that's that's the speech that's happening here. And when you get out and talk to your family or whatnot, you'll be breathing and words will be coming out. All scripture says is God breathed. Like it's coming right out of the mouth of the living God. Psalm 119, we won't go there, but Psalm 119 is a, is a whole psalm. If you get there in your Bible reading plan, better buckle up because that's going to take you about a whole week, a week and a half. Because Psalm 119 is one whole psalm. I forget how many verses it's in, well over 170 or something. But they're all about the Word of God, about the beauty of the Word of God. The truth of the word of God, the power of God's word. Hebrews chapter four, we looked at earlier in our worship service. It was actually our call to confession. It's kind of a, it's not the most warm and fuzzy passage about the truth of God. You know, God's word being God, you know, God breathed scripture being God breathed is sort of refreshing. That sounds nice. I want to hear from God. Hebrews 4.12 is nice, too. But in a different way, it says all scripture, uh, the word of God, it says is living and active. It's sharper and a two-edged sword. It, it cuts in to you and I. It reveals things that we need to work on, ways we need to grow. Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses before this passage for today. In verse 17 and 18, Jesus said this. He said, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, talking about basically all of the Old Testament, but to fulfill them. Truly I say to you, listen to Jesus' words. About the Old Testament word of God. Until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. None of those, those little tiny letters aren't even going to pass away. That's how solid, reliable and sound it is. So today we want to talk for a few minutes about this truth. And I put it this way as a main idea for us today. If we want to grow spiritually... And probably a lot of you are here at church, so you probably, even if you're just testing the waters, there's something in your mind thinking, hey, I'd, I'd like to see what it looks like to grow spiritually. We'll pursue and practice truth revealed in the Bible. Well, this, of course, immediately brings up for most of us, probably, certainly for myself, why do I fail to grow in truth? What's holding me back? Why do I fail to pursue it? And especially as these verses say, not only know the word, but actually do the word, live it out. Well, a couple of things come to my mind. One is, let's be honest, we're not sure whether we really believe this word of God, right? Whether we really believe that it is God's revealed truth to us. That's one thing that can hold us back. And even if we feel like we've come to some understanding of that, so we we press through it, it's still sometimes working in the back of our mind. So disbelief can affect us that way. Maybe it was that class you had in college where they tore the Bible to shreds. Maybe it was that Discovery Channel show where they like to show you the latest new thing that's been discovered about things that people have known for thousands of years, but they've got the newest take on it. Maybe it's just the opinion of some famous person. The interesting thing is there's really nothing new under the sun, is there? You remember what the scenario was with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Way back at the beginning of our sinful condition. What did Satan say to them? And what did they believe? Has God really said? Hey, so 
the, the beauty, I hope, of our church body is that we'd be a place where, you know, if we're struggling with these matters, it's, it's okay to admit it. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm not sure where I am on believing the truthfulness of the Bible. We'd be happy to help you understand uh, where uh, many of us have come to believe in it. Uh, but at the same time, recognize given freedom for that, that mindset, we also don't want to water it down and say we believe anything other than that we have here from God, His Word for us. So disbelief can kind of hold us back. Ignorance can certainly affect us too. So we might believe it, and we're trying to grow in it, maybe through coming to a worship service like this to hear preaching, maybe through coming to Sunday school, some daily scripture reading, trying to get that in a place, or maybe a men's or women's small group. But uh, we know it's a lifelong process, isn't it, to grow in God's Word. And we know sometimes we can get rather apathetic about that. And not really be as diligent with knowing God's word. So sometimes we have a hard time pursuing and practicing God's word because we just don't actually know what it says. Uh, So there's a a lifelong challenge for us to be people of God's word who are knowing it. And then lastly, of course, these verses challenge us very directly that, goodness, it's, it's great to believe the word. That's an important step. It's huge to know the word, to be growing in our understanding of it. But Jesus, he's taken it even a step further, and he says, we've also got to be people that are actually living it out. It can't just be information. It's got to produce transformation. That's God's desire for us. Let's put it that way. Put it in a little more warm and fuzzy, encouraging way. God's desire, God's delight is for us to put the word in practice. This leads us then to our verses for today and this idea of rock and and sand that we see laid out before us. Take a look with me at these verses for just a, a moment. And let's ask ourselves this question. Why is it such a big deal that we figure out our foundation and have our foundation? We, we kind of mentioned it a few minutes ago. The foundation is the, the surface that supports everything else. Nothing else reliable can be built upon it. So think about how that shapes our lives and our culture. Without the Bible, without truth from Scripture, we simply have man-made solutions and understanding for the most essential issues of life. Our personal purpose and meaning. Where do we get that from? We don't have some foundation for it. Our personal and cultural morality. We see that playing out every day. Our culture is in a guessing game, a dangerous one and a destructive one, of what's right and wrong because we've detached ourselves from the foundation of Scripture. What about guilt and forgiveness? What do we do with those things if what's true in Scripture is about forgiveness in Christ isn't real? What about life after death? What about a framework for business, for government, for recreation, for marriage, for parenting? All of those things. If we remove, extricate from our lives and our world, the scriptures, the truth of God, it's a, it's a serious vacuum, right? We have no way of getting our bearings on those things. So the scriptures are valuable. I remember going to a mission trip, the first one that my wife and I went on. We went to Ukraine. 
And it was interesting. We, we were visiting a church. I guess it maybe you would describe as leaning towards the fundamentalist side. There's some parts of fundament, fundamentalism that I, I'm a cheerleader of, believe in the Bible's true and believe in the core truths of Scripture. But this, this church was pretty regimented on certain behaviors, too. And one of the things they told us when we went on this mission trip was they said, do not uh, be careless with your Bible. They said, you know, in, in America, we're used to having a Bible because they're prolific. They're everywhere. They're not illegal. You can't keep them. This was 96 or so. So not long after the fall of communism, where something like having a Bible or at least proclaiming that you had a Bible could be dangerous. They said, be be careful. They said, when you sit in your uh, seat, if there's no place to sit, sit it, you know, sit it on your lap. Don't put it on your on the floor underneath your chair. Don't uh, just toss it onto a, you know, a table or something. Take take care of it. They said people again, it was a little bit of a legalism on their part. You know, you understand where I'm going, but they they had they cherished it. They loved it. They recognized how valuable it was. And I mean, I'm not concerned with how any of us set our Bible or where we put it. Most of us probably have it in a device. Maybe don't even have a paper one with us today. But here's the point. It's easy for us to lose sight. Of what a valuable thing we have in the scriptures, in the word of God. Jesus describes it this way. Take a look at verse 26 and 27 in our passage today. And probably a passage that some of us have heard before. Maybe we've had Sunday school lessons about it from our earliest age, some here. But let's let's ask for fresh eyes about these verses. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So there's a contrast here between the foolish man down here below and up above the wise person. And those are biblical categories for different types of approaching, the ways of approaching life. And being a fool in the Bible is never a good thing, right? It's not like funny, I'm just goofing around playing the fool. Being a fool is, uh, is not a positive thing in the scriptures. Like the foolish man who built his house on sand, and then it describes this storm that, that, uh, come and I, I've probably mentioned this before, but you know you think about how this could play out. All right, somebody's looking for a, a, a less expensive place to to build, perhaps. Somebody's looking for an easier place to build, maybe closer to where they want to be. And you've got this area of sand, and you know we've all been there. If you if, if you're on the beach and it's kind of been packed down pretty good, uh, definitely from a from a distance for sure, it looks like it could work. It actually feels pretty solid. It can be pretty, pretty solid. And you figure, well, I can, you know, I can build a, a, a bigger and better house on top of it. Right? I can have nicer cabinetry. I can have better crown molding. I can have nicer appliances if I do this. It might look really nice on top of that sand. That's interesting than the way Jesus describes it. He says when the rains come, when the storm comes, it's going to collapse because what's underneath is the key issue. What's at the foundation is vital. So you get the picture there. And then he describes the contrast. Look at verses 24 and 25. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And maybe the rock's harder to find. Maybe the rock's a more expensive piece of property. I guess in our, co- in our culture, we don't want rocks in our land, but you get the picture. It's something to anchor into and built solidly upon. And it says that when the storms come, it endures. They even beat against the house, but it does not fall. Well, folks, whether you and I recognize it or not, we face dangerous storms around us. 
spiritual storms. Think about how wonderful it is to have the foundation of God's word in the midst of some of the storms that we face. Let me just list a couple of them for us. The storm of strong temptation or of struggling with unrepentant sin. The swirling winds of the idols of success, of comfort, of personal image. The tempests of coveting, of jealousy, of gossiping. Those things that we struggle with that come from within, perhaps. The tornado of marital or family struggles. The downpour of tragedy or loss. And certainly, Jesus has in view here as well that final storm of his judgment. How will we endure that as well? Well, Jesus' invitation here, and we know how those storms can look, can't they? And you look at a storm from off in the distance, some of those things I just described, they, they, don't, they may don't look too bad. And you kind of see, if you see a storm from a distance, you can see where it begins and where it ends. You can even kind of see the rain coming down through the clouds. Well, it's, it's manageable. Until you're right in the middle of that storm. Until you're right underneath that deluge and those winds. And you realize it's really traumatic. It's really uh, upsetting. And we've all probably been there. We've been there multiple times. And hopefully we've had a taste for what it's like in the midst of those storms to be able to grab hold of God's word. Not just the reality of God's word, but living and believing and acting on God's word. I like how one commentator put it, John Stott. He says this. He says, the question is not whether we say nice, polite, and orthodox things to or about Jesus. And that's not the question. Nor whether we hear his words, listening, studying, and pondering, and memorizing until our minds are stuffed with his teaching. Okay, so that's, that's something that in our church circles we're, we tend to be pretty proficient at, getting content in. It says it's not, it's not just about that. But Stott says, whether we do what we say and do what we know. In other words, whether the lordship of Jesus, which we profess, is one of our life's major realities. Okay? What's doing mean? Doing might mean believing it more deeply, right? In the midst of your struggle and temptation, believing that passage says God will be faithful to provide a way out. I believe that. I trust it. And therefore, I act upon it. All right? It may mean believing in the midst of some tragedy that you didn't do anything to bring upon yourself, but it's happening in your family or it's happening in your community or it's a struggle. Believing those promises that God is our strength and refuge, ever present help in times of trouble. Actually trusting that. So it's not always headed somewhere out the door. It might just be receiving and believing something firmly in our hearts and in our minds. You know, I thought about this a few years ago when I was I was had an opportunity to, to be visiting the hospitals one day and I was driving around town and and the uh, I did something that I really hadn't done in like my entire driving career I think maybe 20 22 years 23 years at the time of having having been driving I had this uh, 2001 Tahoe at the time and the gas gauge only worked intermittently and it had become a little bit more inter than mittenly. 
And so the, the problem was it would sometimes show the actual reading and then sometimes it would show completely empty. It would have actually probably been better if it just didn't show anything at all because you had to guess when it was, especially when it got down to the lower part of the tank, whether it was showing reality or not. Well, this was on my mind this one particular day, I recall, as I was driving around, had some different meetings. And, you know, I drove past that that gas station early in the morning. I was like, ah, that one's just a little further. Ah, price is a couple cents more than what I want to pay. I'll wait till later, get some. And I went by another one. Ended up down at St. Vincent's. I think if I recall, I was visiting the Seawalds when they had their uh, little baby girl. So however long ago that was. And, and so I did something I've never I had never done before in my driving experience, and that is I ran out of gas. And I ran out of gas in, in a super spot, a convenient spot that was really exciting for everybody around me. I ran out of gas right in that line where you're trying to make your way out of the parking deck. People love that. Now, if you've been in St. Vincent's, you know, the little arm that raises up and people. So there's that arm right up there. And there's the Tahoe is not easy to get around. You know, there's not a lot of room. So, you know, uh, people, people greeted me in various ways, saluted me in various ways and had fun things to say. And so finally, some some guy actually came and helped. And it's a, it was a big vehicle. But we managed to push that thing out of the way a little bit. And as I get done pushing it out of the way, I look up. I'm not making this story up. Out of the hospital comes Reverend Bill Hay. And Bill Hay was my boss for years at Covenant Church. And I said, uh, I said to Bill, I, I think at the time, I said, Bill, I, I always joked that you looked a little bit like Bob Newhart, but I never knew that you looked like an angel. And uh, along he came. I said, would you mind giving me a ride to a gas station? I went to the, the downtown University Boulevard, BP, I remember, got the little red can. You know, you feel kind of like a goober going in and getting a little can, but that's where you are. And Bill got me back, and I, I put that in my, my vehicle and got it cranked up. And, and you can tell me, where's the first place I headed to? Get gas. Right? Get gas. And I thought about that for today's message as we think about the Word of God. And maybe you will see the comparison in your spiritual life as well. Uh, Without the word of God, we have no way of gauging spiritual realities. We we don't. We don't have an accurate way of assessing those things. Uh, We don't have a way of understanding saving grace and the message of salvation. We don't have a way of living life the way that God has designed. But that's not the only thing that's that's true. Without that, without the word of God, the, the, the tank gets empty, doesn't it? The tank of our lives spiritually grows empty. And so, you know, as a church, when we're inviting you all into different places to connect with God's word, Sunday school, worship service, small groups, whatever, many of you are involved with those. Those are ways in my mind, quite literally, in a, you know, in a, in a spiritual way, but quite literally, where we ought to think about, I, I want to receive a a full tank of God's word and God's understanding. We ought to be seeking that out. And, and then guess what? When your tank is filled, uh, filled with God's word, as you and I are driving around and encounter other people, we might just be able to help out somebody who's run out of gas. Maybe we... Take them to the gas station, the place where they can get what they need spiritually. Maybe we even siphon a little gas right out of our tank into theirs. 
And that's what I think it means or part of what it means to have our lives grounded in the word of God, the foundation of it, building on the rock and building on the rock of not just hearing the word, but of doing it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that uh, all that we can know and need to know and understand about ourselves and about you, you have revealed to us in your word. And we ask, Lord, that we would be people of the book. We would be people who are delighting to understand even the even the tough parts that are hard to chew from the scriptures that we dive into them and want to know and grow where we can. And so I pray, Lord, I pray for those here today that are maybe just beginning on that journey or maybe not sure whether they believe that the scriptures have truth, that you would work in lives to uh, help us see the, the soundness, the reliability of your word. And then, Lord, for those that have begun to, to believe and to recognize that, uh, Lord, that you would help us to memorize scripture. You'd help us to... Uh, share scripture with those around us. You uh, allow us to be people who don't just cram our heads full of a lot of scripture, but actually do the scripture that we know and have received. So, Father, we we pray all these things that our church body would be marked in this way as a beacon of truth and teaching in our lost and weary world. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.